from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 139 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. Well, today starts a two-part series on Ministry Monday about the public domain. Navigating the public domain online when it comes to music can be intimidating. The websites that house free music and scores due to the public domain are so vast that you might not even feel the motivation to sift through what's there to find a resource. But let's be truthful, many of us have music budgets that are now drastically reduced, if not eliminated, due to the financial strain of COVID-19 on our churches. If there was ever a time to learn how to harness the power of the public domain, this is it. The public domain is like a good estate sale. It takes effort and time, but there are some true gems that can be used and found for our music ministry. What better time to learn how to unearth those gems? So this week starts a two-part series on the public domain. This week, I speak to two choral conductors, Christian Kosas and Dr. Jennifer Kerr-Budziak, and discuss how they best use the free online resources available on the public domain. I spoke to Christian first, and I asked, what really is the public domain? What can we expect from it? And that is where our conversation begins today. So I just thought we'd chat a little bit about public domain use. I mean, so so what do you, you use the public domain for right now, especially? The biggest thing I use public domain sites for are um, really, I, I, would, I don't want to say really old, but, uh, but older music uh, like uh, polyphony, um, some chant. Um, sometimes you can find some, some real gems out there like uh, some old Thomas Tallis stuff, uh, that Bach, of course, uh, any of uh, his cantatas, and and I, I mean just a a wide range of things. I'm only in my fifth year here at uh, St. Charles and Kettering, so we really haven't had a chance to dig into some of that stuff as much as I'd like to, and especially with COVID now, um, it's 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 just completely out of the question. Um, but you, there's, there's some real gems out there for which you can find published editions and which you could pay money for. Um, and, and that's, that's also part of the conversation there and, and something I want to get into later, but 
frequently, especially if you're tight on budget, um, you can find a lot of good old stuff. William Byrd, uh, again, Thomas Tallis, uh, a, a lot of the uh, polyphonic stuff, um, Victoria, uh, I, and, and I said uh, Bach, Any, anybody who's been dead for at least 100 years, right? That's correct, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's some real gems out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds to me like you use it primarily for choral music. Is it true? Primarily for choral. Uh, I have found a few instrumental things out there, but I, I, I just, for what I do in the parish and the instrumentalists that I have, which is not very many, uh, there's, there's just not a lot of need for me to, to look for, say, organ and solo instrument or piano mm -hmm. and solo instrument or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but sometimes I'll find something like um, the Mozart Ave Maria canon, um, and, which, is, which is very, very pretty uh, and, and can obviously be done chorally, but you, you can also take that and, um, and arrange it since it's in the public domain and you can do you know, whatever you want. So, so if I have, say, me on piano and I have, a, I have an oboist and I have a, a flautist uh, and a violinist or something, then, then I can take that, that public domain Mozart Ave Maria and, and put it in the right staves and the right, uh, um, and just arrange it, you know? And, and so that's where, where part of the public domain thing comes in. Sometimes those editions that you find are not exactly what you need. Um, and it helps to have skills in some, some kind of score writer like Finale or Sibelius or, or Dorico or, or even MuseScore so that you can, you can clean it up and, and make it into something that you do use and do need. Frequent, yeah, frequently there's the additions out there are either bad or badly edited or or badly scanned. So mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. you have to you you definitely have to spend a lot of time finding what you need. Right. Let's kind of start right at the base of public domain. So for those who don't currently look for things in the public domain or who don't use it, I mean, what what are some of the public domain kind of like guidelines or baselines. So essentially, what can you find? You mentioned, of course, some older composers, but mm -hmm. why why would they be in the public domain for someone who wouldn't know? They'd be in the public domain because the copyright has expired on them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I, do, I, I know that 1918 in the US is uh, was the cutoff year, but I, I think it's, it's moved up now. I think it's 1920 or 1921. If it's if it was published, I think now by by 1921, then then I think it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, we we may need to check that. Um, <laughs> I will. But I I know 1918 for for the longest time was was the cutoff date. Um, so so I mean that if you're if you're looking specifically at sacred music, you know that definitely catches like um, a lot of Romantic era stuff um, uh, and anything before that. Uh, mm -hmm. Any um, 
sometimes right your your button right up close to uh, some of the more modern stuff. Uh, I, I don't think. I mean, Stravinsky didn't write any sacred music, I think, but uh, but but I think that that's kind of the cutoff line if you're if you're thinking about eras in um, in music. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but really, that that point and everything moving backwards, um, it's it's in the public domain. Now, I want to make clear: sometimes there's an older piece of music, and uh, there will be a newer edition that is copyrighted. Mm -hmm. So. For instance, everybody knows that the the Schubert Ave Maria is is in the public domain because um, it was written in the 1800s. But uh, frequently, you'll find like Hannel, Hal Leonard will have their arrangement or or their um, engraving of it copyrighted because somebody did a little tweak on it or something mm -hmm. like that, where where it was. Um, it's specific, that person's edition of it is specifically copyrighted and it right. would be copyrighted like in 1984. Um, so you need to be really, really careful about, even though the piece itself is 100 or 200 years old or, or 500 years old, um, sometimes an edition may not be public domain. Mm -hmm. Right, and how, how does one discern that? I mean, how do you find things that are, in the public domain versus things that are engraved with a certain publisher? Well, usually it'll have the publisher's mark on it and it'll mm -hmm. say, it'll have a copyright on it. Now, if somebody has been uh, intentionally malicious and removed the copyright mark, then, you know, you're, you're up a creek. Mm -hmm. But um, the, uh, the thing with um, some of these public domain sites, especially IMSLIP, which is the IMSLP, the Internet uh, Music Score Library Project, and, and CPDL, which is uh, CoralWiki, the, the Coral Public Domain Library, mm -hmm. um, they are very, very good. And they had lawyers come down on them years ago about this kind of stuff, about, you know, this is not in the public domain and you need to you need to cease operations. Mm -hmm. um, but they have been um, pretty good about labeling, not only this is in the public domain, but this is in the public domain in your area. Mm. So, uh, so I'm slip will um, say, this is non PD in the US, or this is non PD in the EU. Mm -hmm. um, but it's but it's in the public domain in Canada, say, right. so uh, and those are those are those those are those songs or those editions again where it's it's right up against the line and right in that 1918 1920 kind of range um, and uh, so so that's that's one really nice thing about uh, the more responsible public domain sites is that they they will label not only this edition is in the public domain but it's not in the public domain in your area, or it's it, it right. is in the public domain in your area. So. Right. Let's let's talk about straddling the gap a little bit. You you mentioned yeah. that you you wanted to talk a little bit about paid versions of things versus non-paid versions of things. Mm -hmm. Are there any like pros and cons to either? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So 
the thing with the public domain is it's free mm-hmm. and you get what you're paying for. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I, it, it really is kind of, because it's in the public domain, you're, you're kind of throwing yourself to the wolves. Um, the, a lot of the time you'll, you'll, you'll go on CBDL or, or I'm slip or something like that. And they'll have five or, or 10 editions of the same song. And you kind of have to go through each one. And, and as I said before, sometimes there's a bad scan or there's mm-hmm. bad editing um, or, or they'll even leave a whole page out and <laughs> You have to you you have to keep an eye out for that. I mean, mm-hmm. when you when you have five editions, and sometimes they'll rate them, users will rate them on a five star rating or something like that. And this one has this one has a one star rating, and this one has a four star rating. Well, why is that? Well, it's because um, it's because this edition is is kind of better than this one. Or sometimes you'll you'll find a page with uh, with five editions of the same song, and they all have one star ratings <laughs> you know? and okay well why is this one star better than this one star rating well mm-hmm. this this edition may be more complete um but it's it's a it's kind of a hard to read scan but then this other edition may be a really bad editing job and it had it'll have wrong notes or something like that mm-hmm. so that's that's the risk you take when you look at public domain stuff when you when on the other hand, if you buy If You Love Me by Thomas Tallis from GIA or from um, JW Pepper or something like that, you can almost bet that it's gonna be a clean copy. There's not gonna be any errors in it, or if there are going to be errors, they're gonna be very few. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, some some editor somewhere will have, will have looked at it with a, with a magnifying glass and and really gone through and made sure that it's uh, it's legit. Mm-hmm. So, and, which is not to say that there are bad public domain things out there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I have found uh, again is I will find something that is is usable, but it's a bad scan, and I will need to do some extra work to re-engrave that myself Mm -hmm. um and you know that uh, again you get what you pay for right right so if someone's listening to this and to be honest they just think that the public domain is a you know very complicated and they have never really navigated it themselves what are some of the tips that you could offer for people or some suggestions for people who just want to start to kind of use public domain to their advantage but they don't know where to start right well, um, I would start with uh, look at the specific websites. Look at IMSLIP. Look at CPDL. CPDL, I think, will more frequently have what you need chorally, and and I've been able to find more sacred mm-hmm. music that that I can actually take and move forward with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's a few other sites that I want to recommend. Uh, there's the Mutopia Project, which is M-U-T-O-P-I-A-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.org, mutopiaproject.org. 
Um, that one is, is really interesting because they'll take a source from IMSLIP or CBT, CPDL, but then they'll, they'll make, they'll clean it up and they'll make it a better edition. Mm. Um, so they're, they're, they do have a smaller library, um, but, uh, but I found that they tend to be a little cleaner. Um, there's also uh, another one, Moose Open, M-U-S-O-P-E-N.org, MooseOpen.org. And uh, they're really interesting because they, um, several years ago, did a, uh, a crowdfunding project where they, they got they raised money to record a bunch of public domain stuff with a professional orchestra. Oh, wow. um, and that, and they, and they took that and then they just released it out into um, the creative commons and the public domain. So, cool. you know, uh, there's, there are some really excellent recordings of, of a professional orchestra um, performing some well-loved pieces there. Uh, anyway, so the, so using Mutopia, look first at Mutopia um, when you're when you're looking for some works because uh, you you may not find anything. But but if you do find something there, it'll be cleaner, it'll be more usable. Then um, then I would take a look at CPDL and IMSLIP and be prepared to one go down the rabbit hole and two just. I, I mean, you got to block off a considerable amount of time for these because uh, not all the additions are clean, um, and you got to look out for you got to look out for errors. You got to look out for okay, if if I decide to go with this edition instead of this edition, why am I why am I choosing this edition? Um, and and making sure that it fits your choir and and fits your instruments and and what you need pastorally to do your music ministry right good my last right. question is yeah so my last question is is there anything else you would like to uh to add anything i didn't cover i think i just want to drive home the point that uh if you do have skills in Finale or Sibelius or, or, or Dorico or MuseScore or anything like that, then you will need to use them um, because even some of the best editions out there are, are either hard to read or they, they need some cleaning up of some sort. And your choir and your musicians will, all of your musicians will thank you um, if you, I, I mean, nobody wants like a fourth generation copy of a copy, you know, <laughs> because, because, and they've got the little ditto marks on them and, and you can't tell if this is an A or a B because it's so shifted with, with all the ink gain and everything. Um, you be prepared to invest time, um, and that's, I, I mean, again, that's, that's one of the things with you, you get what you pay for. Um, if if you don't want to invest this time to to really look at uh, good public domain stuff or create something from public domain stuff, then then buy a copy from a publisher because it it, it can be it will be time consuming. 
From there, I called Dr. Jennifer Kerr Budziak. Jennifer is a choral conductor in the Chicagoland area, and she has learned to harness the power of the public domain to her advantage in both her studies and her work. While we aren't singing in choral settings just yet this year, Jennifer's tips on how to best navigate the public domain can be put into action now. Even her step-by-step tutorial on mastering things like CPDL is a skill that can be harnessed and learned even in the time of COVID-19. Jen, thank you for being willing to chat with me this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. How about you? Good, Good. I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Um, I asked to chat with you this morning because on the episode, we have been talking about public domain. And you have such a depth of experience and continue to grow in your experience working with choirs. And so as we look into the new unknown, if you will, for pastoral music, I know, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, that at my church, our music buying budget has drastically reduced due to COVID-19 right now. And so while we're not singing yet, I know there's going to be a point where I may want to try something new, or maybe maybe we have less people than normal, and I need to try something new, but I don't have the money to purchase a new piece. And so I want to talk about the public domain with you. So the two, the two sites we're going to talk about today are CPDL and IMSLP. So would you mind just sharing the difference between the two? Sure, absolutely. Um, yes, and those are the two main sites that will have a really good library of public domain music. Again, it's music mostly composed long enough ago that it has moved into the public domain, or um, there are an increasing number of composers who are choosing to put their work into the public domain as it is new, just to kind of make it available for other musicians. But so yeah, our two big ones are cpdl.org, which is the Choral Public Domain Library, and that is entirely made up of choral music. And it is, I believe, entirely submitted by other choral musicians, often educators, professors, church musicians, who choose to, who will create an edition of an old piece and then upload it to CPDL with a disclaimer along the bottom saying that this is, you know, open for, you know, free for distribution. Um, And it is then absolutely legal to download it and make as many copies as you need to for your ensemble. Um, Then the the IMSLP, which stands for the International Music Score Library Project, uh, is much, much bigger. It's like the difference between a small specialized library and just going into this enormous cavernous library with corners and stacks that you have no idea are even there. IMSLP is huge. And while, and there is some linking between the two sites. There are some pieces from CPDL that you can find on IMSLP and vice versa. But uh, the bulk in my experience of IMSLP is scanned versions, scanned copies of old public domain editions. And uh, if you're a choral nerd like me, you could just get lost in there because not only will it have you know, we'll have old, you know, kind of Shermer or Calmus editions that are in the public domain now. Um, but sometimes you will find the autograph manuscript scans from the composer or oh, cool. different layers. It's just really, really neat. It's fun to poke around in there. So, uh, but in both cases, each, each one, you can find just so many treasures there. 
But at the same time, you also have to be careful of what you're looking for. Um, because, well, it's kind of like, I mean, we know when you buy, a, when you buy from a publisher, an edition of a public domain work of, you know, an old masterwork or a lesser known little gem, uh, the publisher has done the work of, first of all, sort of gatekeeping. So someone there has said, this is a good piece and this is going to be worth putting out there. And we you know want to do this. They will clean it up. They will make a beautiful edition. They will edit it, uh, you know, responsibly and do what it needs to do to go out into the world. And, you know, so when you go to a publisher for those, you get what they have chosen. And it's often, you know, going to be pretty good. There is so much stuff up on CPDL that some of it is fantastic. And some of it is, you know, you'll find things that maybe are not well edited. You will find things that, you know, very well-meaning musicians have put together, but maybe they don't quite have a command of their software. Um, often I will find on CPDL a really great piece that is for choir and organ or choir and orchestra that you want piano reduction for, where they will have simply put the choral parts on, which can be hugely convenient if you want something that's fewer pages and you don't want your choir to have to turn 15 pages to get through a small piece. So, but you have to, it, it puts the, um, it puts the, you know, the pressure, the requirement on the seeking musician to know how to look for what they're looking for, know what they're looking for, and you just have to dig a little deeper. You can't just find, oh, here's a good piece and go from it. Um, IMSLP is a little different in that, you know, again, a lot of these are pre-published scores, but again, you have to find, if you're looking for Baroque music, you need to dig in and find out, okay, is there a piano vocal score if this was done for strings? Um, if it was for chorus and continuo, basso continuo, you will often find nothing but the choir parts and the figured bass. I don't know about you. I have rarely worked with, um, you know, your average parish organist can't necessarily realize figured bass at sight. I know I can't. Uh, so you need, again, you need to dig in and make sure that what you're looking for is what you're finding. The other really important caution with uh, IMSLP is to make absolutely certain that whatever you are downloading is legal and in the public domain in your country, because the laws will vary. And they usually have really good cautions and warnings to tell you, you know, this is, you know, public domain in the European Union, this is not public domain in the United States, or vice versa. So just because it's up there, unlike CPDL, which exists in order to be purely public domain. IMSLP, you have to be careful and pay attention to what you're looking for. So, uh, but fortunately both sites have pretty robust search engines. They're robust and complicated. So you have to dig in pretty far. Um, so let's go to CPDL first, which for your average kind of Sunday anthem searching is probably going to be where most of us will end up. And you know, when you go to cpdl.org, there's you know, a whole lot of stuff. First of all, you may go knowing what you're looking for. It's like, oh, here's this piece. Um, I can't afford it. Or I know it's in the public domain and it's gotta be here somewhere. Uh, Amanda, when you and I were talking earlier, we talked about the Mozart Ave Verum Corpus, for yes. example. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, the talus, if ye love me, right? Uh, things like that. You know, th those are the things that I will I will go there first to try and find. So if you know what you're looking for, you're golden, and it's easy to find. 
Um, but if you're not sure, if you're just kind of thinking, oh, I need to find some music, I need to dig in here. First of all, set aside an afternoon because it's a, you don't have to, but if you're me, it's a rabbit hole and you go down and you just keep looking and finding more and more and more. And it's just, well, I'm a choir nerd and I have really a lot of fun with that. So, <laughs> but, uh, but so if you go to the site, you can uh, go down, there's a, a whole menu on the left side and there's a multi-category search and a multi-site search. So if you go to the multi-category search, that is where you get most of your, you know, breakdowns of what you're looking for. Um, there's the genres, which will, you know, you can go to sacred music as a whole thing. You can go to sacred music by season, which is another piece. And so that for our purposes could be really, really useful. You should make, uh, just be aware if you're on CPDL doing that, that the classification by season is not by the Catholic numbering. You know, it's by the, you know, Sunday after Pentecost, you know, the Anglican and the other liturgical Protestant churches generally um, that system, but we can still find what we're looking for a lot. So sacred music by season is one way you can look. So you can also look by voicing, search by voicing, one part, two part, three part, four part. It actually goes all the way up to like 40 part choral music, which I don't think many of us will be using, but. Well, know, at least, you, enough, you know, not this season, maybe maybe next season. <laughs> right, if you have enough voices to do Talus's Spem and Allium, knock yourself out. But you know, most of us, that's not gonna be a thing. Um, you can search by the musical era and it sort of uses the traditional ones that most of us learned in music school, medieval, Renaissance, Baroque, classical, romantic, um, early 20th century and then modern music. You can search there. You can search by language. You can search by accompaniment from acapella through to all kinds of different, you know, many different uh, accompaniment options. And one really nice thing that I like that, um, as you use it for a while, you'll begin to find who are the editors that you really like. Um, I have found that, you know, just to throw out there, Raphael Ornes, I do not know him, but I know that within about three weeks of discovering this site, I was like, oh, Raphael, you know, wait, I've seen his editions before, those are good. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually now even search by some of the top editors who will put these out there when you find the people that, that are solid. So. Um, so you can use a multi-category search. Another way, quite honestly, um, that I will use more than that is if I'm looking for a specific piece for a specific season or a specific Sunday, I will, I'm a very heavy user of the keyword search. I will search for Alleluia. I will search for, you know, infant if I'm looking for Christmas. I will search for um, Puernatus. I will search for Bethlehem. You know, if there are specific words that you know are going to be associated with the season or time you're looking for, a lot of times you can find that. So, so as I say, the, the main thing with CPDL is that you want to be able to dig in a little deeper and make sure that the addition that you find is going to meet your needs. For myself, what I most like to do is find a very, very clean edition without a lot of markings on it, then, and this is the advantage to working from PDFs, that I can make all of the edition markings I want to and create my own edition for my choir, because I know that, you know, maybe I need, my choir is used to seeing a quarter rest at the end of a bar with a whole note if I want them to breathe there. I can just do that and send it out to them. If I know in a different choir I'm working with that the comma breath mark is what's going, I can do that. I can 
for uh, particularly Renaissance era music or music from times when the dynamics were not as specified, I can go in and create what I want my choir to sing. The flip side of this is of course, if you're not comfortable doing that, um, very often you won't necessarily find an editor who will do that for you. Another little thing just to mention about CPDL, once you go to a specific piece, for many of them, there are options for how to download them. And this is something that I have found fairly useful as a Finale user. You'll usually see a PDF. Uh, some of the editors will actually send you to their website. So some editors will have a website of their own music that, I mean, not their own music, but music that they have edited. So you'll go to their site and download it from them. Um, some will provide the Finale or Sibelius or whatever software they're using source file. So if you say, oh, I love this piece, but this is a, you know, this Renaissance piece is about a whole step higher than my choir will want to sing this. So you can actually download it in the source file and change the key and do the things within the software itself with some of these. So, so it's certainly not as easy as going to a website or a catalog and clicking purchase, but it also on the other hand gives you a vast, vast amount of you know, options and things that you can do. So that's CPDL. Um, IMSLP, I have found more useful uh, as a choral musician for some of the larger works. Um, you know, for example, in fact, if you're listening to this and you're by a computer, you know, go type in imslp.org and then the search box type Vivaldi Gloria. And what it will show you is you'll get, once you get to the Vivaldi Gloria page, you can see I believe on that one, you can even see the, you know, the manuscript score, you can see a scan of it, which again, it's just fun. Um, it has options for recordings and performances. It has full score. It has piano vocal scores. And some of these will go back to the earliest editions of these works. The catch for here is less about the editing quality than you'll often see, you know, what to us would look like third or fourth generation photocopies. And so it's not always clear. Um, it's not always friendly on the eyes, particularly if the publication came from a time when the concern was get as many notes on the page as possible. Um, but you can still find an awful lot in there. A beautiful thing for, you know, especially Christmas, Easter, major feasts, or if you are lucky enough to have instrumentalists who work with you on a regular basis, you can find parts. You can find the string parts for a lot of these works or trumpet parts or um, you know, for the Messiah, for example, for Messiah, you can go in and you can get your orchestra parts for, you know, the Hallelujah Chorus or things like that. Sometimes you have to work, deal with an entire massive score. Sometimes it's already broken down into individual movements for you. Um, but there's just a whole lot there. Um, I'm not going to go into the IMSLP search functions right now, beyond to say they have something that's called the category walker, which is their you know, it's sort of layers of filters for trying to do a search. But again, that's the one that's like just this massive library with so much stuff in it that if you're, if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, and honestly, I tend to use IMSLP when I know what I'm going after. Um, but you can also go and narrow down the categories you're looking for and find, you know, find pieces that will meet your needs and, you know, by, you know, vocal category by musical period by composer, um, things like that. It's just, but you, 
the weeds are much, much deeper on there. So mm -hmm. I, sh I should also mention for IMSLP, um, because it has gotten so big and there are people who need to maintain it, there is, it is free, it is entirely free, but there is a subscription. It's not too much. And what that basically enables you to do is download things immediately. Uh, the way they keep it free, but still encourage you to subscribe is for really popular works, you'll download it and they say, okay, this will download for you in 15 seconds. In the meantime, here is how you can subscribe if you don't want to wait this 15 seconds every time you want to download something. And uh, honestly, for me, it's been really, really worth it to just pay for it. But, uh, but they, they keep it so it can be free for anyone who wants and needs it to be. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And actually, next week, we will be digging a little bit deeper into IMSLP. So we'll, we'll go down that black hole a little bit next week with our <laughs> interviewer, with our interviewee, I should say. Um, so this is wonderful. I want to mention too, for those who are listening, that I will be putting up links to IMSLP and CPDL with a little bit more of a written description of what Jennifer just said. Um, but in the meantime, to wrap up our time, first off, I want to thank you for walking us through um, what can seem like a labyrinth, but, <laughs> um, but has such value. I really do think so. Um, but as we wrap up, I was hoping maybe if you'd be willing that we could do just a teeny little teaser about the choral program that we're going to be offering at NPM in the fall. Would you mind just sharing a very little brief bit about it? Oh, I would love to. So the course that we will be doing this fall, this coming autumn, will intend to focus on the technique of choral conducting. Not as much about the musicality or the score study, but just simply how to do it, how to get your hands and your arms and your body to do the things that will be most effective for your choir. Uh, one of the surprising things for me that came out of this pandemic um, was, I. I teach conducting at the college level. And we suddenly had to, for a beginning conducting class, go fully remote. I was like, how are we gonna do this? But the really amazing thing was, it was excellent because working on Zoom in this way, it gave us the ability to, um, it gave us the ability, first of all, when you're conducting as a student, you're not just watching the teacher, you can actually see yourself and you can see what you're doing. Um, and as the instructor, I could get up closer and I could, you know, we could talk about baton technique or handshake shape or, you know, breaths and breaking things down in a way that isn't as easy to do unless you are have a classroom with mirrors all along the front. I mean, if you mm -hmm. can teach conducting in a dance studio, then it would work really well, but most of us can't. So, um, and it was, and it also gave us the opportunity as part of those classes to look at, you know, we could view videos, we could look at, uh, you know, professional conductors work and stop and start and really dig into the physical technique of conducting, which is something that most of us don't get a chance to learn. Most of us just sort of get plopped in front of a choir one day. That's what happened to me and just have to make it work. And you learn so much just being dumped in and having to make it work. But um, at least for me, the difference between trusting my instincts and musicality to make it work and figuring it out and working with a teacher, I, I still remember my first year of graduate school, I had worked with a group in the summer based on what I had picked up in the trenches and, 
And then I went to school and then I came back and worked with the same group. And it was all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I know how to do this now. This is a, it's a, it's not just an art, it is also a craft. And so what I'm hoping to do with this class this summer, with this online course is to, um, to combine the art and the craft and to help people really get a grip on some of those craft pieces that if no one's ever sat down and worked through them with you, you might never get. Um, and conducting's fun. <laughs> Conducting is fun. Okay, great. So for more information on that, um, people can stay tuned to Ministry Monday as we will be advertising for it in the coming months. And then of course also npm.org will have the information that you need going forward. So with that being said, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for your time today and sharing your expertise. And thank you for all you do for House Music. Oh, thank you so much, Amanda. It's been really fun. Thank you. I am the bread of life. I am the hope in night. I am the door wide open. I am the shepherd's might. I am the truth and light. I am the way and life. I am who I am and I am for you. Come and follow me. For more examples of public domain use, visit the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. Tune in next week for part two of our public domain series. Next week focuses on how to best use the public domain as an organist, both in manuals only pieces, full pedal works, and even arrangements best used for weddings. The recording of I Am the Bread of Life was produced by Oregon Catholic Press, and our theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. I am the